This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. often a lot of pressure with resolutions and we have this idea of this is what we should do. So that means that what do I really want in my year, in my life? What are things that I feel wholeheartedly that I want to say yes to? Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today on the first show of the year, we'll discuss how to cleanse and renew for 2022. We'll explore sound therapy. We'll learn about a different kind of resolution. And lastly, we'll find out why the best parties end up in the kitchen. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to The Tonic Magazine and this show. Welcome to the very first show of 2022, Joel. How are you? I am so looking forward to 2022. I want to put 2021 in my rearview mirror so fast. <laughs> yeah, my hangover is so intense that I can't even remember any part of 2021. But I'm oh, glad you're so lucky. I'm glad you're our first guest of 2022. All right, we're gonna get, we're gonna start the year off right on the right foot. Okay. <laughs> Always, my friend, always. So today, we're going to talk about cleansing and renewing for 2022, which is an apropos topic. What is a cleanse, and why should we consider doing it? Okay, well, to cleanse, essentially, is to detoxify your body. And the reason you want to do that is it's an easy way to recharge, rejuvenate, and renew. Anyone and everyone can benefit from a cleansing. It's a way for you to jumpstart your body renew your mindset for a more active, healthier life. Now, we do have to remember, your body naturally does remove toxins that it encounters from your food, your drinks, your medications, what you breathe and what you touch. The main organs for this are your liver, your lungs, your kidneys, and your colon. Oh, sorry, and I forgot one, your skin. (laughs) Each handles a massive amount of toxins daily, but at the same time, They do handle them, but they could use a helping hand now and then to just help them push out a little more, a little better, and a little more effectively without being strained so much. And like everything, as we get older, our systems don't work as efficiently, and we probably don't live the lifestyle that our bodies were intended to live when the first humans sort of were created. We're now living in a very toxic environment, so for all those reasons, we should help ourselves, right? Agreed. And one estimate actually is along that topic that 
well over 99% of all the toxins we encounter didn't exist 100 years ago. Wow, crazy. All right, so what's the first step? What do we need to consider before we do a cleanse? So the first thing you want to do is look to reduce the amount of toxins you take in. Mm-hmm. And that just makes sense. If you're trying to clean something out, you don't want to at the same time keep adding more dirt to it. So what you want to do is try for a week eating a variety of whole unprocessed foods, fresh fruit and vegetables, fungi, nuts, seeds, and grains. A good rule for variety is trying to eat the rainbow of colors that are naturally occurring. Personally, when I do this, I try to avoid really high-protein foods, uh, such as meat, fish, even eggs and dairy, because they're harder to digest and they put a strain on your system. Instead, I try to rely on legumes, which have a nice amount of easier-to-digest proteins. You want to drink lots, and I do mean lots, of fresh, clean water. I supercharge mine with liquid chlorophyll, and also you want to drink herbal teas. Be sure to eat foods and drinks that you like. There's, there's no point in even starting this if you're going to torture yourself because in the end, you're going to crave other foods and drinks and your cleanse will be doomed to fail before you even start it. And a clear point here before you start, if you have any concerns, talk to your healthcare provider to make sure that they know you're looking at doing this and make sure you're not risking anything. For the vast majority of people, it's safe, it's easy, there's no concerns, but you just want to be sure. Is there a cleanse program that you recommend? Like, is there a product that we should be taking, or is this just a larger process that involves multiple steps? How does it work? I'm a firm believer in doing it mostly food-based with some supplements, but I'm, I'm also a firm believer that you whole foods are and should always be our guide. Sure, you can go out and get a product that's packaged, really nice, really cute packaging. But in the end, if you want to do it right, take good food. Okay. So let's, let's start with your good food oriented cleanse. What are we doing for how long? Like, what are we doing? It's for one week, Okay, one week. What you want to do is give enough time to get rid and let your body push out all the stuff you don't want, and then you can start rebuilding. If you go on a month longer or even longer than that, I've heard some people do it, then you're stressing your body in a different way. Okay. It it just doesn't make sense to me. And the good thing is you're sticking to whole foods that are truly nutrient-dense, meaning that your body will get a good chunk of the nutrition, vitamins, minerals, proteins fiber, antioxidants, and the other phytonutrients you need from the preferred source, your diet. And they're also free of all the toxins you're trying to eliminate, all the artificial stuff and ingredients that have been created in the past hundred years. Okay. So you haven't said it, but I presume you mean also to cut out alcohol and recreational drugs as well, correct? Oh, yes. Okay. Is there anything collateral that we should be doing during our cleanse that will assist in the process other than cutting out the crap and eating whole foods? Well, one of the big things I like to do is I like to power up on antioxidants Mm -hmm. at the same time. So what I do for that is I I use that being my whole foods that are richly colored. And on top of that, I supercharge my water with liquid chlorophyll, a Mm -hmm. nice antioxidant. That becomes my cold drink. Okay. For my warm drink or hot drink, I do a tea made of 
lemon peel, cinnamon bark, ginger root, and turmeric. I essentially boil water, take it off the stove, then put all these in, put a plate or a lid over the pot, let it sit and steep for a good 10 minutes, and then I just drink that all day. Okay, so I know everybody's different. Let's talk about when you do these. How do you feel during the cleanse? Like, what's the feeling that you should be looking for, and how do you know if it's working, and what are the signs that maybe it's not working? Well, for myself, when I do this, the first, I'd say, three to four hours I'm on the cleanse when I'm having the tea and drinking and just having, for example, in the morning last time, I think I had an orange and a peach. <laughs> I think yeah. those were my breakfast. I felt a little bit of hunger, right? but that was it. Okay. The good news is, by the second day, I was energizing like you wouldn't believe. I, I was the bunny with the drum just going nuts. My body reacted really well and was happy. And, and that's part of the point behind this. I know a lot of people who've done cleanses before and they felt miserable. Right. Number one, because they weren't getting a ton of nutrition. And at the same time, they were getting stuff they didn't enjoy. Right. In my system or my plan, the way I've done it, I'm getting a ton of fruit, a ton of vegetables, which I love. And at the same time, I'm getting seeds, nuts, grains. I, I'm getting the food I enjoy, and, and there's no restriction on how much. Okay. I eat until I'm full. Sounds good. All right, so now we've done oral intake, but one of the other organs that you mentioned that help us detoxify and is involved in the process is our skin. So what would you do about that? Yes. Well, the skin is actually really, really interesting because most people, when they think of cleansing, they don't actually think of your skin. They think, okay, I'm going my liver, my lungs, my kidneys, etc. They, they don't look at skin as a problem. Now, with your skin, what you want to do is make sure that you stop toxifying it as well. And most of us use soap, shampoo, conditioners, body lotions, cleansers, makeup, deodorants, etc., that are just riddled with toxins. And I do mean riddled with toxins. For your skin, what I like to do is go really basic. I still shower. <laughs> For anyone who's near me, they're happy to hear that. Yep. <laughs> I still wash my hair. I still do all that. But what I do is I use pure unscented Castile soap. And you'll find that's nice. It's made essentially just from olive oil. The one I use is olive oil. You can use one made from coconut oil, avocado oil, hemp oil. They're all the same. It's just which one you like the most. And I find it lathers incredibly well. It moisturizes and cleanses really well. The great thing is it does it all without any toxins of any kind. Now, if you're someone who also likes to scrub their skin and actually get a really deep, deep scrubbing clean, we got you covered. All you have to do is make a simple scrub, five parts sugar, five parts Epsom salts, two parts liquid Castile soap, add a little bit of water, lather up, and scrub away. Good. Now let's move on to the lungs. How do we deal with toxins coming in that are airborne? <sighs> That's a bit more difficult, but... The lungs are actually quite interesting in that they're one of the organs that are self-cleaning. Mm -hmm. They begin to heal themselves the moment they're away from toxins. Unfortunately for us, our world is toxic. Yep. And we expose our lungs to tons of pollutants daily, mainly the exhaust from 
either industry or, or vehicles. That's where most of us get it. But there's still tons and tons and tons of other toxins, including dust. A lot of people don't even think of dust as a toxin, but it actually is, and it can irritate the lungs badly. Mm-hmm. So first thing we say to do is avoid heavy scents and scented areas. Because most of us, for example, inside our house where we've spent most of 2021, that's where we would get it. So skip the scented candles, skip the perfumes, skip colognes, use natural deodorants and get rid of room fresheners. On top of that, skip scented laundry detergents. A lot of people don't think about that, but if you have a scented laundry detergent, you're not exposing your lungs to that scent for a little bit of time. It's actually a fairly long amount of time throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is use your Castile soap again. It works great in the laundry. Now, to actively help your lungs, what you want to do is use anti-inflammatories. In this one, turmeric and green tea are my go-tos. The other thing you can do is use gentle steam therapy. (laughs) The old thing you used to see on television where people would sit over a bowl of hot water with a towel over their head and inhale, it actually works. The steam from the bowl actually adds warmth and moisture to the air, which improves your breathing and loosens mucus. And the best thing is, no chemicals. It's just water. Fantastic. Let's move on to the liver because that's uh, a key organ. Oh, yeah. The liver is a big one, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Its job is to clean your blood and help metabolizing drugs so your body can use them. Unfortunately, in providing these bodily functions, your liver encounters the most amount of toxins, some of which eventually get end up in your poop, your sweat, and your urine. But not for everyone, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Now, the sheer number of toxins really stresses your liver. Your liver will benefit a lot from reducing the toxins and and the clean eating, drinking, and breathing. Now, once you've actually cleansed all those organs, had your fun, etc., then it's time to start rebuilding. Yep. Now, what you want to do is slowly start adding in your proteins. The proteins, again, start going in, getting them, but do it slowly. Your body's had a little bit of time to reset. You want to ease it into it. Don't go really fast. Next thing you want to do is have a foundation. And the foundation I recommend is certified organic vitamin D and K2 drops, as well as active vitamin B12 liquid. Together, these three vitamins support all your organs, including your elimination organs, help prevent infection, help to reduce your risk of numerous diseases, including arthritis, arthritis, osteoporosis, heart disease, cancer, and I could keep going till the end of this interview just listing the diseases. Now, for your gut, including your colon, I recommend using Fiberific Plus Probiotic and Liquid Chlorophyll. So you're getting a prebiotic, a probiotic, high fiber, all of which help your digestion in your colon, and then you get liquid chlorophyll. Liquid chlorophyll helps you digest better, and at the same time, it helps detox the toxins actually in your digestive tract. Essentially, together, they keep your pipes, both front and back, working well. For your liver, I recommend using certified organic milk thistle and liquid chlorophyll together. Mm -hmm. Certified organic is really important here because you don't want to introduce any toxins while you're trying to rebuild your liver. The milk thistle helps keep your liver tissue healthy, while the chlorophyll helps your liver eliminate daily toxins you encounter gently. 
For your lungs, you want to ensure you're using the certified organic D and K2 vitamin drops. Higher levels of vitamin D are linked to better lung function, while vitamin K2 protects your lungs' elasticity, helping to make breathing easier and improving your overall lung function. For your kidneys, you want to use the certified organic milk thistle again and liquid chlorophyll. The milk thistle here protects your kidneys against damage from oxidative stress and some of the drugs that specifically target your kidneys. Chlorophyll helps to protect the kidneys from oxidative damage and inflammation, both of which reduce the risk of kidney disease. Now, for your skin, what I recommend here is try switching into your shower and bath rotation the Castile soaps. For variety, you can use ones that are now scented with essential oils. Still no chemicals, but they smell really nice. (laughs) My favorite is eucalyptus, personally. Here, vitamin K2 is vitally important. Vitamin K2 actually helps preserve your skin elasticity and collagen levels, keeping your skin healthy and preventing cracking. And the reason that's important is if your skin is cracked, it's an open point for toxins, dirt, and other things to get into your body. So you really want to have nice, smooth, healthy skin as a barrier to problems. And with all that combined, you can start 22 running, good start, get it going, and have a really happy, healthy, and low-toxin 22. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. It is always my pleasure. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss sound therapy on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Rhea Mehta, PhD, is a Toronto-based molecular toxicologist, award-winning health tech founder, health coach, yogi, and classically trained singer, who is deeply committed to improving access to health and healing for all by drawing upon the best of modern science, ethical technology, and ancient wisdom. Most recently, Dr. Rhea has been creating modern mantra music as her medium to advocate for healing. By infusing ancient mantras with modern melodies and diverse instrumentation, Rhea hopes that more people will be able to access and benefit from the healing qualities of these sacred sounds from her ancestral land and lineage. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well. So uh, on this New Year's Day, I'm inquiring, what has inspired you to create 
your soul ceremony, and how is this work aligned with your advocacy for better health systems? So I was inspired to create Soul Ceremony because I feel so strongly about what I call these ancient medicines from my ancestral lineage. And I feel like if I don't, you know, carry this wisdom forward into the future, that there's a fear that they're going to get lost. And so this is the music of my ancestry, the music I grew up with. And it's also music, and I should call them mantras, because I think that's a lot more of an accessible term. It's also quite popular in the yoga and wellness community. Um, and so I really felt strongly about being able to share them, but also starting to share more of the origin stories, talking about, you know, the, the ancient scriptures and giving a lot more attention to the creators um, or the sages who sort of downloaded this wisdom and, and sharing a lot more about the, you know, the, the spirituality behind these ancient medicines. And, you know, I guess where it aligns with my current work, so I work in the psychedelic medicine sector, uh, working to provide new disruptive medicines for mental health. I also work in the digital health sector, trying to make health and healing more accessible for the masses. And so this you know, this word accessibility, I think, is really important in, in health and, and healing. And, you know, being able to share music that is naturally healing by design, you know, is something I feel very strongly about because it takes a lot of work to heal ourselves. Um, and it's also a major privilege to be able to, you know, spend time working on ourselves and working on bettering our health. And so it's aligned in that way that it's, you know, it's considered an accessible form of healing. Okay, so let's do a little bit of grounding for the listeners. What is the history of mantra medicine and, and what is, you know, culturally, where does it come from and where does that all flow? Yeah, so mantras come from ancient India, ancient Indus Valley, and so they're about three to 4,000 years old, maybe older. The first set of mantras are written in Sanskrit, so that's the ancient Indian language of divination. So it's not a language that's intended to be spoken. It's a language of divination. And the story behind Sanskrit is also quite interesting. But, but these ancient scriptures, you know, the 3,000, 4,000-year-old ancient scriptures were contained these mantras, and these mantras are what they say in these scriptures. Again, most of this has been passed on you know, audibly, so it's not something that, you know, where you can learn in any history book. But they say that the sages and seers downloaded this wisdom from the gods, and they learned that there is particular formulation, sacred formulation of being able to, you know, formulate these mantras, which are basically, you know, numinous sounds, words, or phrases. So there's a particular design of these phrases that can invoke the meaning within the listener or the practitioner of these mantras. And so there's usually some kind of a spiritual meaning, you know, supporting personal growth, development, connection with, you know, collective consciousness. And there's also this um, sound vibration that comes through, so the reverberation that happens in the body when you're repeating these mantras over and over. So the practice is about repetition, and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to sing these mantras. You don't have to have a great voice. It's really just about repeating these over and over. And as the practitioner repeats these mantras over and over, it is said that they essentially become one with the mantra. So the mantra almost absorbs them and they become one with the meaning. And so, you know, there are different mantras that have, of course, different meanings. Even the meaning of these mantras is a little bit hard to translate into English because this is a language of divination. It's not a language that we're using to communicate 
on a daily basis. So we're doing the best we can to interpret the meaning. But what they say is you don't actually have to know what they mean. You just have to, you know, repeat them sort of like a hymn, you know, repeat them over and over, recite them, feel them, connect to them, do your best to pronounce them as best as you can, of course. And, um, and then, you know, the idea is that you, they will start to work on you and purify you. Okay, so, you know, I think one of the criticisms of sort of North American yoga is that it has sort of divested itself of some of the spirituality of the total yogic practice. How can folks honor these ancient traditions while also engaging the mantras in an accessible way, in a modern way? How do you bridge that gap? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, you know, finding people who represent the ancestral traditions or finding teachers who are, you know, very happy to share the origin stories. Now, those teachers do exist. Sadly, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to find them, and that's because, you know, the spirituality has been lost, of course, over, over the years as more and more people have, you know, have, have learned this ancient yogic technology and it's spread um, in the West. And so find the, you know, find the teachers and, you know, do, do some homework, like honestly Googling, Googling mantra on, and actually on Wikipedia, the mantra, mantra page on Wikipedia is incredible. There's so much learning there. And I think that, you know, when you, when you go back and you learn these stories, I mean, naturally you have a deeper appreciation for the practice. And when you, you know, when you get back on the mat and you start practicing asanas, you know, yoga, as we know it in the West, which is only one part of yoga, you'll start to feel differently. Like you'll actually feel, you know, a lot more embodied and a lot more connected. And so, yeah, I think, you know, education uh, first and foremost, and that's, you know, it's available everywhere. And also for people who already have yoga teachers that they love, ask your teachers. Because a lot of teachers are told, you know, don't use the Sanskrit words, don't share a lot of the stories because you don't want to lose people in right. the West. Yeah. And so just ask your teachers to share more and they'll probably be, be very, very happy to share because as part of, you know, I'm, I'm a trained yogi and as part of our training, we have to learn the technical Sanskrit terms. So they'll probably be very happy to share. Okay, so we talk a lot about how mindfulness can help with mental health and that's, you know, the mindfulness aspect of yoga is, is prevalent. We've never discussed how the, the mantras fit into this. So how does the sound healing contribute to sort of our better health? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the sound healing or the nod yoga aspect of mantra is probably the biggest contributor to, you know, mental health um, betterment. And so that's really, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that when we're, re- when we're reading these mantras, you know, it's kind of like a guided meditation. If you're listening to words and you're, you know, either asked to, you know, to do something, to breathe along with, with whatever the words are guiding you, or to actually recite the words, you're naturally taking your mind off of, you know, whatever you're ruminating. And so one of the biggest issues, we you know, with our mental health crisis is rumination, you know, constantly thinking about all the things we have to do, our past, our future, yeah. our traumas. And so if we're just, you know, asked to recite these words, like, let alone not, not even, not even really thinking about how much how much they're healing us through their own meaning, like through the actual words that are, you know, that are being implanted within us. But just the, the very practice of repetition is just taking you out of your, you know, past and future and into the present moment. And that's, of course, we know that, you know, if you're in the present moment, you're safe because you're here and you can't be, you know, it's, you can't be thinking about all the worries and struggles of our past and future. And so the practice of mantra chanting and repetition is powerful and, in, in, you know, in simply through that practice of repetition. And then there's more of the spiritual benefits 
you know, so the, my first mantra, the first single mm-hmm. um, is based on the Gayatri mantra. And it's actually a very popular mantra in the West, you know, the Beatles and a lot of these like, you know, 60s and 70s musicians like loved and revered the Gayatri mantra. And so that one specifically is used to heal our anxieties. And so there is, you know, a specific meaning that is, you know, implanted into that mantra to wash our mind and to, you know, to ask the, the sun to essentially purify um, our minds and allow us to, you know, be free from our struggles and our traumas. And so, you know, again, there are different mantras used for different purposes. So there's the, you know, the actual practice and then there's a the spiritual piece. And then, you know, sound healing in general. So I'm trained in sound, um, in sound ceremony. And so what that means is, you know, I'm trained to basically share sound for the purpose of healing. And, and you know, going back to this idea of accessible healing, like some of these, and we all, we all know, like we hear, you know, um, a singing bowl or a gong. Mm -hmm. or some chimes, and we naturally just feel calm. So in in a similar way, you know, I would say ancient mantras are the original sound healing tools. And so you're listening to these sound vibrations, or you're, you're taking in these sound vibrations through the mantras, and naturally you're just feeling peace in the body. So they're just like, they're very, very calming just through, again, this sacred formulation in terms of how, you know, how they've been concocted. And so, yeah, they're, you know, they're powerful on the physical level, and they're also powerful on the, on the spiritual level. And um, interestingly, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of research um, that, you know, that is now studying the, you know, the impact of sound healing on our physiology, and also on mantra medicine on our physiology. So this is now evidence-based. Fantastic. If people are interested in finding more, where can they reach out to find out that information from you? Yeah, so I would say if you want to listen to the music to start, you can find me on all music streaming platforms. So search Bria Meta, my first name, last name, and you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, you know, wherever you listen to music, YouTube, SoundCloud. Um, if you want to learn more, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm always sharing more of the history and the stories behind each mantra. So you can look for me there at Keepin It Ria. K-E-E-P-I-N-R-H-E-A and then also my website livingria.com Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. We have to take a short break but when we return we'll discuss another kind of resolution on The Tonic. Hi, this is Jamie Buston of The Tonic. If you enjoy The Tonic talk show and podcast you'll love The Tonic newsletter. With links to the podcast and articles from the magazine, the newsletter will also let you know about upcoming health and wellness events, curated articles from across the internet that expand on the health and wellness topics important to you. There's contests and prizes and so much more. Best of all, it comes directly to you. To subscribe, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. The Tonic Newsletter, you know for what ails you. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop centre. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself 
And you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com. She can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back. Happy New Year. How you doing? Happy New Year to you. I'm great, thanks. How are you? Surviving. Hey, New Year. New opportunities. Yes, absolutely. I am actually, I'm not big on resolutions because I feel like, you know, it's a lot of pressure and people don't follow through. I'm good on personal growth, obviously, right? Health and wellness. It's my show. I just like, I don't love the R word, but you're coming at it from a different angle today, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's often a lot of pressure with resolutions and we have this idea of this is what we should do, but we really don't like it. (laughs) We really don't want to do it. And so, of course, a lot of them fall flat. We end up quitting before we really want to. And it's really because we want to say yes, but really inside we're saying no. So, you know, the key sometimes is just kind of looking a little bit differently about what is my, what is my yes. Okay. What does that mean? So that means that we are looking at what do I really want in my year, in my life? What are things that I feel wholeheartedly that I want to say yes to? So it might be that I want to be more honest about what works for me when it comes to sex. What it might mean, I don't want to shut down and just go along with things. I want to be more open with my partner about when they say something that makes me feel hurt a little bit, but doing it in a way that's really um, loving and gentle and where they can hear that. So we're sometimes wanting to, to get in touch with our feelings and our desires rather than pushing them aside and thinking about, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to want? And what is it that works for me rather than the expectations that I'm putting on myself or feel like maybe my partner has of me. So we're not really talking about semantics, right? It's not, it's not mm. like we're, we're not like putting in a positive spin instead of saying, you know, I want to lose weight. That's like, I, I want to drop weight. That's the negative connotation like yeah. by saying I want to be healthier, right? Which is the positive yeah. approach way of doing it. But it's not quite as simple as that, right? You're talking about looking inward, aren't you? Like yeah. as opposed to looking outward, or having the pressures from the outward come to the inward. It's almost like we're insulating ourselves and giving ourselves permission to take steps that would benefit ourselves and be better selves. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think, you know, um, so I spoke to Karen uh, BK Chan, who is a local sex and relationship educator. And um, this is a big thing for them around looking at, you know, what's going on inside rather than what am I supposed to do on the outside. It's very much permission, looking inside, what's making me want to do this and what's actually shutting me down. Right. What helps me to feel empowered rather than succumbing to or giving in or conceding to so that I can be an active participant and going after what I want rather than in some ways running away from what I don't want. Right. Okay. So there's a concept of unproductive patterns. What's that? Mm-hmm. So 
these are um, patterns where we give in. We have likes or dislikes, but we we don't want to be honest about them because we feel guilty about them. We want to please our partner. Um, We don't want to disappoint a partner or we don't even share like maybe that we feel rejected or dismissed by our partner. Um, Maybe if our partner declines our sexual advances. So we just kind of go along with it. And usually at the beginning of a relationship, we're pretty good at saying what we want. But as time goes on, there's more at stake. It feels riskier, oddly enough. We have a harder time speaking up for what we want. And so that giving in just kind of becomes a pattern. And then it becomes even harder to get out of that. It becomes more challenging to then say, you know, sex isn't really working for me. And this is why. And this is my part in it. This is what I'm not doing, right? We have to be really careful because part of the pattern is that we're not being honest. And so we can't then blame a partner and say, well, because you're never doing what I like. It's like, well, I keep asking you what you like, or you said that this was fine, or you went along with it, right? I haven't been honest. I'm not telling you what I like. I'm just going along, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to have a great relationship with you, not a so-so relationship with you. So those are the unproductive patterns of just ignoring our emotions, going along, because it seems easier. Yep. to go along with what our partner's saying or the status quo. But in the end, it's not as life-giving. All right, so we're, we're talking about something that could be really challenging. Like, I'm trying to think of this in terms of my relationship. I, Naomi and I have been together for a very long time. It would be a challenge mm-hmm. to have those types of honest conversations. But how do we shift the experience? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, part of it is is acknowledging for yourself first that this is the experience, that we have not been honest with ourselves um, and that we have shut down. So that's the first piece. And then the next piece is recognizing that if we choose a yes, let's choose something that gets us excited, right? right? What is something that we feel excited about doing, excited about shifting rather than like, oh, well, I just need to put up a boundary and say no, right? What is something I want to say yes to? That's the first, the first part. And then we need to kind of get into our bodies. We need to feel, which many of us are shut down from. Uh, many of us don't feel like we have a right to or we were shut down as kids, and so we don't notice what's going on in the body. Mm-hmm. So, like, sometimes it's starting with, like, what, what do you want to feel when you have good sex? What does it want to feel like? Do you want it to be cozy and snuggly? Do you want it to feel comfortable and connected? Do you want to feel worshipped or seduced? Do you want to feel free or or held against your will in a consensual way? What is it that will feel good? Because sometimes if we can start with feeling, then we can get into the action. But if we just start with action, sometimes it's like, ah, I don't know. It feels like a lot of pressure and more like a chore. So what do I want to feel with you? That's a great place to start. And then from there, we're almost like we're building something new then, right? There's almost like a reframing. Yeah, and it it can be new and it can be just um, a renewed. (laughs) Yeah. And so sometimes we can just reflect on what are the really great times that we've had together? How did that feel? What worked for me? What aroused me? And get specific, right? It's because you looked at me a certain way. You started touching me here. You said this to me. I did this. I risked and tried that. 
So you have kind of a bit of a recipe for doing that again. But some of them keep a little bit to yourself. You want to keep some mystery. You want to keep some excitement. You don't want to just have everything laid out as a step-by-step. You do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, and then you do this, and then I'm going to feel this, right? We have to keep a little bit of mystery in order to reframe it and for it to work. And then there's some challenges that flow from that, right? Yeah. um, So sometimes it's being accepting of what's hard. So, of course, right, if you and Naomi, Naomi came to you and said, like, hey, you know, I I really want to change this thing. It can be really hard. Or if you, one of you has a habit of initiating all the time and the other goes along with it. And now they say, you know what, I'm not into it today. Can we just do this? Right. That can be hard to see our partner disappointed, rejected. But I think what's important is to empathize with them. I get that you feel rejected. I love you. I think you're sexy. I think you're the most awesome person in the world. And I do want to have sex with you in my mind, but right now my body's not working with me. And I get that that's hard for you. Mm -hmm. Right? So accepting those, but going through with them and empathizing. Right. And what's next? We need to practice setting boundaries, really easy boundaries. So just like, you know, not saying yes when you want to say no or saying, you know, I really need to have 10 minutes of full body pleasure before we start touching genitals. Otherwise, I'm just not aroused. Yep. And then sometimes, you know, we need to be honest without it coming across as mean. So we need to talk about what we want. And so often, especially those of us who don't make boundaries, we feel like we're being mean. We feel like we're being rude. We think that we're depriving our partner or that we're hurting our partner. But what we need to do is be honest and also really generous and gentle about, I know this is hard to hear. I know I've never said this before, but the reason why I'm doing it is because I want us to have really great, fabulous sex where both of us are connected. And I bet that there's something else that would make it better for you too. Yep. That's good advice. We have time for one last little bit, and that is we shouldn't We shouldn't really get too focused on the end result, right? Yeah, it's all about process. It's all about process. And it's not what exactly great sex looks like. It's more about um, how do we feel together? How do we communicate together? What's the connection? And that, you know, varies. And it's not... It's not about exactly having a particular kind of intercourse in a particular position on a particular part of the house, but it's about how we feel together and how we connect together. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is published six times a year and is delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. It's also available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. And if you miss it, you can also read The Tonic online at thetonic.ca. Hey, 
If you like the Tonic Talk Show, I know you'll love the Tonic Magazine. This is the Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carolyn Tanner Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information, you can reach out to Carolyn at deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Hi, Jamie. Happy New Year to you. You know what we do every New Year's Eve? What? We have, my kids are allowed to invite friends. Yep. And we host New Year's Eve in our kitchen every year. We've been doing this probably for 10 years. How'd that go for you? It's great. It's it's always fun. And what's really cool, I have to say, like we're shocked that our kids and their friends want to spend time with us on New Year's. But I think it's a function of this cool little party that we do on New Year's Eve where we're all sitting around the kitchen table. We've got banquettes and everything. And we do like a themed meal every New Year. So yesterday, last night, we did like Southern barbecue uh, for everybody. Yeah. In the middle of winter. Love that. But I know you're a big advocate of bringing the party to the kitchen, right? Yes. Well, the parties always end up in the kitchen. They do. So let's make this happen. Right? Instead of like sort of haphazardly landing there, let's talk about actually having a party in your kitchen and what that means and what you need to do to prep it. Right? Absolutely. So, by the way, I have a theory about why the party ends up in the kitchen. Okay. What is that? Okay. First of all, that's obviously where the action and usually the host are because they're busy doing stuff. But also, it's great for people who want to socialize and then get away from the people they're socializing from. If you're having like chatter with someone you don't really want to be with, it's very natural to say, okay, I'm just going to go in the other room, as opposed to if you're in the other room to go into the kitchen. I just feel that way. Well, but if you're in the, if you have got somebody you don't want to talk to and you're in the kitchen, there's nowhere to go. But I hear you. The truth of the matter is I hate our dining room table. I find it uncomfortable (laughs) and I can't stand sitting there. And I, we have the most comfortable seats in the house are in the kitchen. And I just think it's a warmer atmosphere. I don't like formality. I'm not sure how many people are into formality in in this day and age. Yeah, that's why they're making kitchens and living rooms open, right? Yeah. But you can't just like bring everybody into your hectic kitchen. No. Right? So you got to get a little organized. So where would you start? Okay. So first of all, if you start organizing your kitchen as if you're having a party tomorrow, and I know some of us are not having parties right now, but if you're having a party tomorrow and live like that, you'll be very happy. Kind of like Marie Kondo-ish. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like only have what you want to have. That's my, you know, uncluttered Marie Kondo. Okay, so keep your counters very, and I really mean very uncluttered. So what does that mean? I presume that means getting all the machines that you really are not using. Exactly. Like, have you bought an air fryer in the last couple of years? No, we bought like the slow cooker, right? But that doesn't sit on the counter. The toaster oven and the fancy coffee maker are the only two things we have. Okay. So the toaster oven and the fancy coffee maker are things that you probably use on the daily. Correct. But you don't use your air fryer, most people don't, daily. Or... Even, frankly, your blender, fruit processor, and mixer. I use mine almost daily. I still don't have it sitting on the counter because it takes up a lot of real estate. Stuff gets trapped underneath, and the kitchen counters get cluttered and very dirty. Okay, So really, you should try to only have your squeeze bottles or a bottle of oil, your salt, pepper, your toaster or toaster oven, your kettle, 
and perhaps your coffee maker on the counter. That's it. That's really it. You don't need those fancy drizzle bottles of oil and the jars of a flour, you know, with the nice container tops and the sugar. You don't use that every day. So get it off the counter. We renovated seven years ago and we just have a ton of cupboard space in the kitchen because, you know, we cook a lot, right? We have yeah. we have a lot of these machines, but you're right. Okay. You, you can't have them out because you the, 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 your kitchen is chaos. In other words, it's a bit of a pain to bring them in and out. And sometimes they're up on a high shelf, but you have it, some ideas about that too, right? It's true. I have a lot of ideas because for, I have a small kitchen yep. and I run catering out of it and a cooking school. So how do I keep it organized? So first of all, I have a butcher's type block that's on casters that's in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. You could get one very inexpensively from like a restaurant supply store that's made of stainless steel. You could go more expensive if you want. You could get one medium priced at Ikea, something that has a shelf underneath and a workable tabletop on the top. So I have one that's a little bit bigger than sort of like a square shape, that's more of like an island shape, but that rolls around, inexpensive, bought it from Uline, okay? Yep. And um, and I keep my mixer, my blender, and my food processor on the bottom shelf, very, very accessible. So it's not in a closed space. I don't have to dig underneath to get it. And it just so happens that I keep my heavy pots and pans there too, like the cast iron that weighs a ton. Yep. Okay. So I keep it all there. So when I need to use it, I just need to very easily bend my knees because, you know, I'm an occupational therapist by training. So I have good ergonomics as well. I bend my knees. I lift up my mixer and it's on my counter in seconds. Okay. So I get it. Keep the kitchen nice and clean to start. Let's talk about planning for the actual get together. So what do you recommend in that respect? Okay. So if you want to have the kitchen party, or if you want it to flow into the kitchen and flow back out to your living space. Yep. What I like to do is I keep the cocktail. And I'm going to talk about like not having help or hired help in the yeah, kitchen. Yeah. So keep the cocktail bar in the kitchen. Guests love to mill about and watch you getting ready for the party. So the hosts are usually busy doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's usually why the party ends up in the kitchen. So have two or three cocktail options. What I like to do is I make like a little recipe card with each cocktail. So if you're making a a certain margarita or whatever, you have the recipe card in front and you have all the bottles ready to roll. That's what I did last night for my New Year's party. And I have two, not 10 cocktail options, but like maybe two or three with the cards. And then I have a few different options of bottles of wine. You know, people always bring bottles, so you could leave them there with an opener and the glasses are waiting. And it's a self-serve cocktail bar done nobody has to be the bartender I, I agree with you we even go leaner like i will create a cocktail that goes with the food specifically yeah uh, so we did something bourbon based because we were doing the barbecue and then you know obviously new year's you're going to have the sparkling to toast in the new year and wine i'm with you and you put the yeah. glasses out and you know i make a show of making the drinks i'm pretty good at, and i've invented a few drinks so like i'll do that but yeah if you leave an open bar it, it just takes up too much space for you have sure to, and I'm pretty chefy, Jamie, but I don't like making drinks. Okay, I really, really don't like making drinks. So I do like having like one or two, like as you were saying, cocktails. So it's great to have like a printed recipe and everybody could kind of be their own chef. 
Oh, you let them make it. No, nobody touches my bar equipment. (laughs) You and I are not in agreement on that. Well, when you come to my party, you could be my bartender. Okay, the other thing I like to do is I have a snacking board sitting right on the counter. Yep. Okay, because I'm not busy cooking, so I have a snacking board. Yep. And it's a great conversation starter. So you could put little notes of what everything is or not. Yep. Okay? The other thing I like to do, and most people don't do this, and it's pretty important, if you do have cheese on your snacking board, cut the pieces so that they're bite-sized, and then kind of put the cheese block back together with the pieces already cut. Nobody is cutting into the cheese. And I know we've talked about this before, you and I, but it's really important that you do that. So slice up the pieces of cheddar and then put them back together. My pet peeve is somebody who takes like the brie knife and then uses it for the other cheese, cross-contamination. People don't think of it. But I think I mentioned this on the show. The first job I ever had was at at a gourmet cheese shop. So I actually know my cheeses. And one of the things I had to do was put board together for people's parties and yeah so the other thing is odds so go with three or five don't do an even number i know that sounds crazy and and very particular but the optics of your cheese board you want to make it enticing so three or five okay three or five and you do the same thing for meats or fruits or fruit or oh no I always like odd numbers for whatever okay, reason. Cool. For whatever reason, it adds to the artistry and the creative nature. But yeah. the nibbles are more important. It's because it allows people to enter into the meal, and particularly if it's not formal and you're staying in the kitchen, it adds to the conversation. Like people, like the finger food allows for talking, as opposed to when you're eating a meal, like cutting meat or yeah. you, you know, like it, finger food is just it's more conducive, more conducive to a party. Totally agree with you. Okay, so that's definitely a good thing. And believe it or not, you could do the cocktail hour much longer than you think. So I always feel like pressured. Oh, my God, like 45 minutes. It's really not. Like an hour and a half is perfectly acceptable. All right, so time for one last area. So let's talk about sort of the recipe formation and how you put together the party in the kitchen. Okay, so my famous saying is you are only as successful as your recipe selection. Yep. Okay, so you want to select recipes that you're going to make for the meal. Now I'm talking meal. Yep. That are 95% do ahead. That the yep. only thing you need to do is put something together or take it out of the oven. Okay? Yep. So you're not making a stir fry with all your little mise en place next to your stove and fussing. It's done. Okay, so you could fancy up a brisket. You could fancy up a slow-cooked lamb shoulder. Yep. You know, something that you've made yesterday or the day before or frozen. What I like to do, and I did this over the holiday, is I made a spaghetti and meat sauce dinner. I know that doesn't sound so fancy, but I did it, and we had a beautiful pasta and a beautiful meat sauce, and I had done it weeks before I'd made the meat sauce. I had a simple Caesar salad that was ready to go with a piece of cold paper towel or wet paper towel on top of the lettuce. All the things were ready, done, okay? Okay. So everything needs to be done. And that's basically it. And then you can enjoy your party. Sound advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are so welcome. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Rhea Mehta, Carlisle Jansen, and Carolyn Tanner-Cohen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic Magazine. The January-February issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, West of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. 
If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy holidays and a happy new year. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.